everyone, Robbie here and welcome to episode number 48 of the Coach's Journey podcast with Bill Small. Now Bill Small's voice, which you're going to love listening to in this episode, is a powerful creative tool that has been creating songs and conversations throughout his life as a professional musician, entrepreneur and business coach. In this episode, Bill describes the challenge of blending his passions for music and conversation in order to create the life he wanted. He, we get into the key shifts in mindset that have enabled a balance to emerge. During 35 years of performing play and playing music and about 20 years of helping small business owners to thrive, Bill has accrued some really wonderful stories and a huge amount of wisdom on on creativity and how to create a coaching business. In this deep uh, searching conversation, we reflect on creativity, on integrity, on personal responsibility and money, amongst other things. Um, And alongside Bill's work as a coach and as a musician, Um, He's the host of the Subtle Art of Not Yelling podcast um, and co-founder of a creative community called The Box, both of which serve to help people chunk down their projects and get out of their own way in order to finish the things they've made in order to market themselves without having to shout and be the loudest person in the room. So we talk about in the episode um, important versus interesting and how we might choose between them, why finishing our creative projects matters, the comparison sticks that we beat ourselves with, um, how to show up as everything we are instead of our divided selves, um, integrity and what it means to honour your word as yourself, which is Bill's beautiful definition of integrity. Um, yeah, and and um, we also get to talk about, I think for the first time on the show in both cases, two of the biggest movements in personal development, which Bill has really in-depth experience of um, of both of them. That is the Landmark Forum um, and the Law of Attraction. And, and, and Bill talks beautifully about both of those. Um, Finishing his work is something Bill has committed to in order to honour the creative process and and hearing him speak about how he approaches all aspects of his fiercely creative life is truly inspiring. So so as part of as part of Bill's work, he, as I've said, um runs a community with his his um collaborator Miles called The Box, which is a container and a, and a way to help people do the things they've made. And, and if you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely check out The Box. But you might also be interested in the Coach's Journey community. This is, a, you know, um, a flexible, affordable group coaching program run by me. Um, you can find out more about it at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. You can sign up from as little as £10 a month. You can pay up to £100 a month. That means you can come to different numbers of group coaching calls every year. Um, and at the top full membership level, you can be coached by me um, one-to-one as well as in the group. But everybody who's a member will get to the chance to be coached by me um, in a group of coaches who want to create thriving coaching businesses and thriving lives as they do that. Um, and it's they're, they're really beautiful calls, um, even if I do say so myself, you know, some of the absolute highlights of my month. Um, so if you might be interested in that, please uh, check out thecoachesjourney.com slash community. You can also become a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney. And thank you particularly to Alex Witten, Joey Owen, Kusum Ravindranath, Alex Swallow and Ken Brewer for their ongoing support. So I, I really hope you enjoy um, this conversation. Yeah, like I said, you're going to love Bill's voice. Um, as it as it comes in to just take you through this episode, had some great voices on the show recently. Um, we have so much fun, Bill and I, talking about creativity, which is where we start and where we end the conversation. But don't worry, in the middle, we get a lot of um, conversation about how Bill's business works, how he built it, how he came to coaching, and lots more. Um, and yes, I talk a lot. When I was listening back, I realized I talk a lot at the beginning of this conversation. But don't 
don't worry. We do do some interviewing of Bill later on. Um, And yeah, look forward to that for sure. Um, That's enough from me for now. Hope you have a great time getting to know the fantastic Bill Small. Bill, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Robbie. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah, there's a nice, funny little exchange which led to you appearing on this podcast, which is you emailed me last year saying, just come across your show because we had Toku McCree on our podcast. This is on your podcast, um, which is called The Subtle Art of Not Yelling. Just looking down to make sure that's right. Is that right? I'm (laughs) suddenly worried. Suddenly worried. I was like, I once, in fact, when I recorded my episode with Toku, we had to redo the start because I said, we were, Toku and I were talking about, uh, a really amazing interview with him that I'd heard on the Coaches Rising podcast, and I in, in, I said, "Hi, Toku, welcome to the Coaches Rising podcast." And I was like, oh, "That's really not what this podcast is called, <laughs> is it?" Um, so uh, anyway, you said uh, we've had Toku, and because of that, we came across your show, and I'd love to be a guest. And I said, um, "No, Bill, but how about I be a guest on your podcast?" And 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 regular listeners will know this is this is like. Um, this is because partly because well I I don't think I would I don't think there's any way I would have done that except the last year I set myself a challenge to appear on a hundred podcasts and ah. um, regular listeners will know or people who have followed my work will know that I think those kinds of challenges they're really helpful for people like me who kind of well for people like me be, being people um, if you can hold those right because they they can be very useful for kind of getting out of your own way and asking for help two things you know getting out of your own way not asking for help is one of the ways that I get in my own way. Yeah. And so, it, you know, but if I need to be on a hundred podcasts in a year, I ha- I can't let an opportunity pass me up. So when I was, you know, I, I, I have to, I'm always careful when people email me saying, can I be on the show? Because I don't want to say no to somebody I've never heard of, but who is really amazing just because they're a person I've never heard of them. And, and so I was looking at you and then I read about you and your work and I was like, Oh, this is exactly, these are exactly the things that I'm trying to talk about this year. And I saw your show and, and then, uh, you and me and your fantastic co-host Miles had a great conversation at the end of last year, and I think that the we think that probably that episode will come out before this one. If it I has, so, yeah. we'll put a link in in the show notes so people can check that out. Um, and then I was sitting around, and I said to you, kind of, which you know, rightly so, which is like I wasn't booking guests for this show at that point. And then when I was at the start of this year, you know, I. I I, and I said, I think I was looking back at the email. I also said, and I'm I'm doing some thinking a bit about what happens to the show, which was true. Um, and then at the start of this year, I was just, I just kept having the thought, why why have I not contacted Bill to be on the podcast yet? Why have I not done that? And so I did. And here we are you having did. this conversation. <laughs> and I guess that the, the only other thing that just came to my mind then, it's a lot of me talking at the start of this show, isn't it? It's funny. Um, it's, I think it's a really interesting I'd be I'd be curious about what your feeling is on this. So part of the reason that I was slowing down was I was sensing something a bit off with with how I was managing the show. And it wasn't really how I was managing the show. It was and has been. It's not and it wasn't really off. It was kind of a sense of a slight shift in energy for me around my business. And that energy was essentially that in order to it felt like to me, in order to get my business off the ground, in order to create a lot of the things I created, I needed a lot of, a lot of uh, what we might call will or effort. You know, actually, I needed to like put the work in. 
And I was doing quite a lot of like careful thinking about what was most important. And an interesting shift for me, like, I don't know what's most important next for me and my work. So then I was like, what do I do with that? And I got really did a really nice piece of work with my coach about, well, what's interesting now? So, in, and, and I love that distinction, what's important versus what's interesting. And that was true with the podcast. Last year, when you got in touch, I was like, well, it'd be interesting. You know, I guess on some level, I was like, well, it'd definitely be interesting to have a conversation with Bill. But is he speech marks the right person for me to be having next? And there have been some really choosing people based on them being the right person is what has created, not entirely, but almost entirely, the back catalogue of episodes, of which there are 45, 46 at this point. And it's quite a high like pressure that goes on that thing at that point. Like, what's the right thing? And so it's a really, I, I just think it's a really interesting distinction, importance and important versus interesting, maybe is the distinction, or the right thing versus curiosity. And I just, because that's such an interesting, it's such a present idea for me at the moment, I'm curious what comes up for you as I tell that story. Uh, it, it feels like something we could talk about for an hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, the imp- I love that important versus interesting. Uh, and the, when you talk about it, I think what I kind of notice is that I'm not always good at choosing the important thing. I almost always want to choose the interesting thing. And even in our podcast, we don't even know what's important, nor do we talk about it. We just do what's interesting, usually. And I, and yeah, I mean, in there, we'll look at, well okay, we should probably have some guests that actually have a following that might help people find our show. Um, but, and I'm sure you've been like this too. I'm fine with that as long as it seems like they're cool and we can have a good conversation. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that just because somebody has a following. That's silly. Um, and, and, you know, you asked... You asked before we uh, started talking if there was anything in particular that I was working on, you know, or any part of my work that I'm focused on. And you might have just answered it. Mm-hmm. It's I'm, I'm looking for what's interesting to me now, yeah. what I want to spend my time on now, um, and how to expand into that. Mm, Does that make sense? Yeah, totally totally makes sense. I think um, for people who are listening, I think it's like, because the thing that I want to catch in this conversation, because I'm kind of talking about how it was quite hard. I think I'm talking about how it's quite hard work to be focused on important. Mm. And I do think that I don't, I don't think that I could have published four books in a year if I hadn't chosen that they were important and then explicitly by choosing that they were important chosen that everything else to a certain extent was not important and that was quite hard work i, I said this on one of the other i think on the, the last episode that came out just before this one or that will come out actually it hasn't come out it's like the time warp of podcasting the next one that will come out but the one that will have just come out by the time <laughs> anyone's listening to this talked about that a little bit it felt like to me like to get that thing out i had to be able to say no to everything else and that yes. was like quite hard like i had to say no for example to um doing anything to try and create clients in my business because actually i just got to the point where if i don't do that this thing this project that i've got is not possible and i think that mostly we my view is that mostly we need a mixture of those two those two things 
in our work yeah. and, it, and and it's just like very tiring to only focus on what's important to be constantly trying to do that and it's really wonderful to allow myself the freedom of what's interesting well and with any luck at least part of the time they're the same thing right absolutely right yeah, yeah that's exactly true yeah 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 lovely love the start of the conversation bill and sometimes i don't know if it's important until i go down the road and see what happens with it yeah Absolutely. And, and sometimes I, th- and sometimes I think something isn't interesting, but that's not really, that's not really true. It's just a way of me not doing it. Um, yeah, and then when or, I start, it's like, oh, here we go. This is actually like something quite different to how I imagined it would be. Or I start something because it's interesting. Yeah. And then my interest wanes or, fades, <laughs> yes. or I get distracted by some other shiny thing. And I stop when actually finishing is important yeah is is there anything are you telling a story there about anything that's coming to mind like what's a thing that oh absolutely i am one of the things i this the front part of this year that i'm working on is i start <laughs> i started two books uh-huh. i started one book in 2011 and uh got however far i got with it I think I even made an ebook and put it on Kindle for a minute and forgot all about it. And then a few years later, I found it and I took it down. In 2018, I found it again. And I think I wrote a little more. And then I forgot all about it. <laughs> and then this past year, I, it, it just, I saw it in my computer and went, what is your problem? Just finish the dang thing. And I love that you just talked about asking for help because at some point uh, I would just get stuck. I'm like, I have no idea what to do next. I don't know how to do this. Um, I know there is more that I should say about (laughs) this subject or how to do this, but I don't know what it is. And I started looking at, okay, can I find a content editor? And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I realize that I know one, that I have a friend who loves the topic, who's, he's a writer by trade. It's what he does. And I called him up and said, Hey, would you take a look at this? And now every time I throw out a few more pages, I send them to him and he says, great. Now you might want to think about talking about this. So, uh, finishing that, no matter what happens to it after, is important to me. And when I am actually in the process of writing, it's also interesting. Um, and then I actually, I have a, <laughs> I have a song that came out on a record that I released in 2015 called Diego. And without going too far into the song, I was playing it. And a friend of mine who I was sharing the stage with looked at me and and she said, well, that's about two frogs, isn't it? And I said, you're out of your mind. No, it's not. She goes, well, it sounds like it is. And I couldn't get it out of my head. And I thought, you know, that would make a really good children's book. (laughs) Just using the actual lyric from the song with illustrations. And I thought, I wonder if I could 
do those at least do sketches for it myself. So I started doing that last year. Then of course I got distracted and stopped. Uh, so uh, I'm finishing that as well because it's again, no matter what I do with it, I just at least want to know that I finished it. Yeah, and why is that important to you to finish these things? Mm. Because uh, I have a bad habit of not doing that. Mm. And and I don't think I'm the only one. Yeah, for I sure. <laughs> oftentimes we start things, especially creative projects, and don't finish. Um, in so I've been I've been a songwriter since I was eleven. Now, I didn't write good songs for a long time, but I wrote songs and I did it all the time. And when I'm in uh, 2001, I moved to Nashville for a short time and I couldn't write songs anymore. Mm. I would start a song and I would instantly start editing and comparing and, and raising the bar to the point where I would just get stuck. And I think that that's something we all do in creative work. Everybody has their own version of it. Their brains tell them whatever story, you know, their brains tell them. Um, but I'll start something and I'm immediately telling myself, that it's not going to be good enough or whatever it is uh, to the point where it becomes less interesting and I stop. Um, so there's a, you know, just like you saying, I'm going to write these four books and put them out. Uh, I think there's something important for me to go, well, I've started this. I'm going to finish it Yeah. Uh, because it's too easy for me not to. And yeah. then, and it really becomes another stick to beat myself with at that point, which I don't need any more of those. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I have a pile in the corner. I don't need another one. So um, why don't I just finish and then I'll decide how I want to ship it, how I want to put it out in the world. Yeah. Lovely. I mean, so much I could say about what you've just said. One of the things that comes to mind is I was just listening yesterday to, um, Stephen Pressfield on the Tim Ferriss show. And um, one of the stories he tells on that particular one is one that came out in I don't know, the end of end of 2022, beginning of 2023, um, is that he deliberately doesn't have friends who are writers. He doesn't want to know there are other good people doing good work out there, really. He wants to, on some level, be able to kid himself that actually the only person that could write this particular book is him. Um, and he knows that on some level, factually, that's not true. And I think he particularly believes on some pretty deep level that actually it is true, you know, and there is something unique about each each creative. But I, I, yeah, I really get that idea that um, I can imagine that moving to Nashville and being surrounded by that history and all that. I understand it. I've never been. It was like when, when I traveled a bit across America, it was like the place that I just couldn't quite make work in the time that I had, which I still have yeah. a bit of regret about. Maybe I'll make it there one day. And um, I can imagine that that, that has that and 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 it's but it's a tricky thing for you know i guess it was <laughs> you know in a in a kind of outside of the internet that's a great example of what happens to a lot of us on the internet all the time absolutely which is that we're surrounded by the equivalent of yeah. the country music heroes of nashville but they're yes. they're everywhere on the internet smacking us in the face every day adding um, more sticks to be ourselves with 
I was, uh, I was talking to a counselor at the end of my time in Nashville and this came up and, and, uh, he started asking me questions about it. And what we got to is that part of what was going on is it became an, an existential crisis. Like if the next song that I wrote wasn't the best thing like ever that I would die. Like that was it. Mm -hmm. I was dead. It was that huge for me. Um, yeah. I mean, just, just to catch people and, and people listening, like, I don't know what questions the counselor was asking, but often if you find if i am speaking to a client and well in fact i think always i had some heard a, a you know a teacher that i was doing some training with say always you know if you get into somebody's fear and there's a thing they're not doing and you ask well if you do that thing what's at risk for you and then whatever the answers they give to that you say okay if, if that happens what's at risk for you and you keep doing that you always yeah. hear existential crisis like it always yeah. comes to that it's like well if the next hit you know, maybe, you know, you could probably do it better for that example than I can. But if, if the next song isn't a hit, then um, on some level, I'll have to give up music. And if I have yes. to give up music, like, wh who am I? And if if I'm nothing, then, you know, existential crisis. So it's like, yes. it, I think that makes complete sense. And most people, if they dig in, in with that kind of questioning or, you know, any deep questioning, really, are likely yeah. to find that but it's but it doesn't and it, i don't know did it when you had that sense oh the next song mm. I've, I've let somehow the next song has become an existential crisis did that change things over time yes it took a little bit but yeah uh and it's funny because i'm the guy who used to tell people oh they're just songs yeah. you know it's just music geez it's not brain surgery we're not killing anybody here don't worry about it uh but then it flipped over on me and it got a little harder for me to do that. Yeah, a bit harder to say that to ourselves. So, like, two other things I want to say. Um, one is a little bit, it's a little bit trivial, but it also isn't. Um, I, I don't know if these have made it to the US, and I don't know how old, because I think you have children, but I don't know how old they are. So there's a, there's a British writer of children's books called Julia Donaldson, and she wrote, like, The Gruffalo is her most famous one. Oh, is, I, do you know yeah. that one? Yeah. So yes. I didn't know that the, the the first time that she and the illustrator from the Gruffalo, Axel Scheffler, worked together was turning a song into a children's book. Oh, okay. So their, their book, A Squash and a Squeeze, is a retelling of an old, is a, it was like an old folk story that for children's TV over here, she turned into a song. And somehow, I don't know how, that ended up being turned into a book. And if you read that one particularly, you can really tell it's a song as soon as you know that. But it's also as soon as you know that there's some of the other ones that that are, it suddenly makes sense. Ah, the reason these work so well is because they are, you know, the reason the rhythm in them is so good is because she was on some level a songwriter. So that's yes. the encouragement for the for the Diego slash Two Frogs book. Ah, thank you. To come. Well, we have watched uh, the Garuffalo, the Garuffalo's Child and the and the witch one uh, more yeah, yeah. times than I can possibly talk about. And they're wonderful. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I could probably do a, maybe I should at some point do a whole, whole thing about Julia Donaldson, particularly Stickman. We had a hilarious exchange in my family WhatsApp group about how I was disappointed with, with the TV adaptation of <laughs> Stickman because I felt like my version is better. Um, ah. And, uh, you know, they just didn't capture the heart of Stickman. And I'll say this now. I've had times reading Stickman to our daughter where I've had to genuinely pause to stop the tears coming because, like, mm. in my view, she's captured in that book. Just Which is why, you know, one of the reasons these, these stories work so well is, you know, she captures something really deep 
yes in 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 that yeah. perhaps in that one in particular it's also got that great bit where she gets to turn the stick man refrain into stuck man for father christmas which is really <laughs> excellent um and then and then a little more seriously I, I wanted to kind of say i'm really glad that you're finishing these things i i got really interested a few years ago it's one of the chapters in my fourth book about what in that what in the moment of writing the article that became the chapter in that book are the kind of lost relics of art that people make and then just get left for some reason. And it, it happened because a, a novelist that I love, uh, he died when in like 2006, age 60 or something like that. So really early. And if he, he, he was a prolific novelist, so he'd have written another, what's that, 15 years ago? He'd have written another 30 books by now, probably. Maybe not quite, 15 at least. Um, and then what happened about 10 years after that, I would say, maybe a little longer, is that somebody found a manuscript. Um, that you know there was that that it was a different kind of writing, but it was quite a thing to be able to read that writer whose books I'd read probably five times each yes. um, again. And you know maybe if he'd lived, that book would have never been published because he didn't feel like it quite. Um, I don't know, fitted with his other work or was as good by right. some standards, which I think is probably true. It's not like I would rank it fairly low down his thirty-something books. Sure, but that didn't. I mean, it wasn't meaningful to me to read it. I didn't take right. things from it, and we're not always the best judge of what we've what we've made. And so all these not always we're uh, terrible yeah, yeah. judges of what we made. <laughs> it's so true. And so these kind of these things, and I guess I'm saying this because you know because you're talking about it, but because there might be people listening as well. Most people have got the equivalent of your book that has been come back to many times. You know, they've got they got I've got some songs. And they, you know, they are they are a little bit lost relics of art. Um, although I've kind of talked about that another time, or maybe later in this conversation. I've I, they don't have the same they don't have the same like pull or like sense of unfulfilled thing that some some of these things do. But they're there, and that was one of the things that made me think about that idea originally. Most people have got something, whatever it is, that's kind of basically almost done. Yeah. And therefore, it, you know, it's in a way the hardest bit to get it out, but it is like really worth doing because we just never know which will be the thing that will be meaningful or important to somebody. Yeah. And we, we talk about it a lot on the podcast, just the, this whole subject of <clears throat> finishing uh, and what does it take? What do you need? Uh, and also then what do you do? Yeah. Because there's a whole lot of finished work that never sees the light of day. Right. That nobody yeah. ever puts out into the world. Because truthfully, that's a whole nother project. It's why I don't know if you noticed that I said, right now I'm just gonna finish. Yeah. I'm not thinking about what's next. Cause that will actually have me not finish. When I have to start now thinking about what do I do with it when I'm done, it's so um annoying and overwhelming and uncertain that I'll just stop. It's easier to just not do it. Yeah. And I've yeah. been disappointed in the past with putting things out and hoping that they would do better than they did. Uh, so it's just better if I don't think about it right now, just finish the work, be creative. And then we can make a plan for what do we want to do with it next? Yeah. I love it. Love it. And, and the, the other book, are you up for telling me slash anyone listening what it's about? Uh, yeah, sure. It's actually, uh, it's called Use Your Ears. It's the, uh, 
sort of a non-technical guide to recording. Oh, nice. Um, over the years, uh, back in, I don't do this anymore, but I owned recording studios. I've produced a lot of records, uh, done a lot of that kind of work. And, you know, now anybody can record music with a laptop and a microphone. You know, there's so much, uh, the technological improvements have been unbelievable. Um, but not anybody, not everybody can do it well. And sometimes you have people who maybe, uh, make really good music, but aren't really sure how to, you know, even make a really great sounding demo in their house. So it's kind of about that, how to, how to think about it, different way to look at it. Nice. Nice. Oh, we could, we could, we could talk music probably all day. I've had a really nice, so before, whenever I'm interviewing somebody, you know, I'm always getting into their world a little bit. So I had a really lovely, um, I don't know, hour or so earlier today with your music playing while I was thinking about you. And it was just a really lovely, don't you sit there. Yeah, there we go. Don't listen to Bill, anybody. Um, (laughs) Go and, or don't listen to what Bill says about his music. Go and listen to his music um, and we'll put some, we can put some links, but, um, yeah, so lovely, and it was a really. It's always a. Well, it's quite a thing. And did you do the music on your podcast as well? And like it's yes, yeah, it's got a very nice, yeah. very nice intro. People can listen to that as well. But so we could talk about music all day. Maybe we'll come back to it. I'm sure we will in different ways. But I wonder if we could do, you know, because this is the interesting one of the interesting things about you, right? Is that you are a musician and a coach. Yeah, and you're holding those two things, as far as I can tell, simultaneously. Uh, yes with with a like at least with no apparent this is the main one thing i don't know if you feel that one of them is the main one um but it looks like you're holding them fairly evenly so maybe we shift to the other one now for a few minutes and i'm wondering when you first came across coaching in a way that like you know that we're talking about coaching now maybe there was some maybe there was some there was a swimming coach i know back in the day but maybe maybe (laughs) in this way that we're that we're the way that you coach now when did you first come across coaching uh so in the 90s um my uh fiance at the time and one of my best friends who i played music with they both did this uh personal development course work and they were like, man, you got to do this. So I went to an introduction for one of these things and I went, man, I know this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and it was great. Cause I actually, I, I've met later the woman who led that introduction. And I remember what I said to her that I was like, yeah, I kind of already, you know, all the stuff you're talking about, I get it. I'm sort of doing this. And she, and she just looked at me and went, Okay. And then when I talked to her later, years later, we did, we had a good laugh about it because she's like, you didn't know what you were talking about. I said, no, I, I didn't. Um, so I went and I did, uh, this, uh, personal development course with landmark education. It's called the landmark forum. Probably heard of it. Uh, they do it all over the world. Uh, and it, it opened up something in me that was really unexpected. And I got really jazzed about the whole thing. (laughs) And there was something about the people that led these courses that, uh, I don't know, it, 
it really turned me on. I was like, wow, what are they doing? How do you do that? And they had a program where you could, uh, they had like a leadership development program. And I immediately wanted to do that. So I jumped through a lot of hoops. I did that program. I coached that program after. And I didn't really realize this at the time, but I was getting world-class coach training. Mm. Like, I think maybe some of the best coach training there is. Um, But I didn't know that was a thing outside of this world you know, of this organization that put on courses. I didn't know that was a thing people did. I knew there were consultants, right? But to to my mind, that's a different thing. One of the things that happened to me when I started doing that work is that's when I made the decision that I would no longer have uh, put air quotes around day jobs that did not involve music. So I quit whatever I was doing at that time and put my attention on making my entire living through music, which was incredibly challenging. But one of the things that I did immediately was I became a voice coach. I was a voice uh, student in college. That's what I studied at school. So I was pretty sure that I could uh, teach other people. That's how I came to music really as, as a singer. So, um, So I started doing that over the years. I found that uh, when you are coaching voice, it's 20% physical technique and 80% what's going on in your head. And I love that part. Mm -hmm. Um, So during those years of 15, I don't know, 15 or 20 years between when I sort of got on my own personal development journey more seriously and being a professional coach, uh, I wasn't thinking about that. You know, I had coaches, I had a business coach for a little while. Um, and I didn't think about how many people I had actually coached at that point. And then, um, you know, it's funny how music tends to bring me to everything. Uh, in 2007, I put out a record with a band called Walt Wilkins and the Mystic Arrows. I was in that band for 15 years, and that was our first record. We uh, toured around quite a bit. We did not make much money, and we did not sleep much. Uh, so in the beginning of 2008, I was exhausted and broke and um, needing to do something. And I was talking to a friend of mine who I also knew from uh, Landmark. And uh, I knew him as a really, like, I knew him as a, as a really good coach. You know, he had coached me a, on a couple of things back in the day, but he's also a filmmaker. And he tells me that he just got a job. And I can't even, I can't even hear anything after that. I'm like, you of all people, got a job. First of all, who would hire you? And second of all, what are you doing? And he tells me that he's coaching people. And I said, wait a minute, you're getting paid to coach people. They'll actually pay you for that. (laughs) This is how it was so not a thing, right? And this was in 2008. And he said, yeah. 
And uh, I said, man, that's cool. And we talked and whatever, and we hung up the phone. And then the light bulb went off in my head. (laughs) I was like, oh. And I called him back and said, are they hiring? And he said, well, I don't know, but here's who you talk to. Well, I already knew that person who was hiring the, the coaches for this company. And it turns out that this company was supplying coaches for some noted at that time authors who had been in the book and the movie, The Secret. There were a couple of folks from that, Joe Vitale and Bob Doyle. They had books and they had people who wanted uh, help. And of course, they can't coach a whole bunch of people. So uh, this organization supplied coaches for them. So I went from, in, in the span of 30 days, I went from, I didn't know you could be a professional coach to having 37 clients. <laughs> So I was, excuse me, sorry, you can tell your sister where that one is. Yeah, we were just saying before we, uh, before we switched on that, that in this show, coughs stay in, you know, because that's the kind of, that's the kind of people we are here. Well, it is, it's always allergy time here in central Texas, so I'm feeling it, but, uh, well, let me actually slow you down, Bill. Let's yeah. take the cough as a sign from the universe that um, to let me jump in and ask about a couple of things because I think there's so much in this. I don't want to miss. I don't want to just like I don't want to go too fast yeah. through this because there's some really interesting things in there. You know, I I just suddenly realized I don't think on the show in forty something episodes that we've ever talked about Landmark Forum, which is a strange thing given its kind of um, place yeah. in you know the personal development world. Given like some of the stories that I've heard from people about how impactful it's been for them yeah. so i just want to kind of catch that and i wonder if you could yeah. say a little bit about it because you know more about it than me yeah. but also and, and what made it impactful for you and then maybe the second part of that is this this really interesting thing you said which is this this really world-class coach training and so i'm curious mm-hmm. also about what happened in that and what makes you look back on it in that way yeah so i think people don't talk about landmark education because over the years, landmark education gets a bad rap. It gets uh, people throw around the cult word and all this stuff, which is just, it's ridiculous. Um, It came out of something called Est in the seventies, which was from what I understand, very intense, you know, you can't leave the room, all that kind of stuff, which was very appropriate in the seventies. Right. (laughs) And it evolved and turned into, something a bit gentler, but still very challenging. Um, in the Landmark Forum, you know, look, you basically sit in a room with 150 people for three days and have a conversation about what it means to be a human being. When else in life are you ever going to do that? And whether you say anything to anyone in that room or not, you hear yourself in other people. And I think that may be the first thing that I can say I really carried with me is how we hear ourselves in other people. All our shit is the same. It really is when you get underneath it. Um, the things that, that stop human beings are the things that stop human beings. Um, and the, the purpose of at least that initial course, the Landmark Forum, and I'll probably get in trouble because I won't say it right or some of you'll get mad, but who cares? Um, is 
to put your past in the past, Mm. you know, and really get that. I think my favorite thing, and there's no new information in this coursework, by the way, they're not giving you some golden nugget that you've never heard. It's just the way it's put together and the conversation that you're in. Right. Um, my favorite saying from that course is the world is empty and meaningless and it doesn't mean anything that it doesn't mean anything. And it made me realize how much I'm, what a meaning making machine I was, that everything had meaning even when it didn't. And that I had the power to change the meaning of things if I wanted to, which means I could change my perspective and change how I looked at things. And that changed everything. Um, When I talk about the coach training, I think uh, it's a, you know, it's, it was at least a pretty rigorous course. It's six months and uh, there was travel involved. Uh, There was, uh, there was a lot of, extreme ability to be with yourself in a way that maybe you hadn't been um, and to be with other people. And when I say that, I mean, and I've said this to coaches before, uh, can you really be present with another person? Can you hold the space for someone to show up however they show up and be however they are and just hold that and not do anything with it. Just, just be put yourself and your shit and your baggage and your stuff that you carry around. Just set that over the side for a minute and just really be with that person. Can you do that? Um, I think that is the, most important thing you can do as a coach. And that's what I learned how to do in that training. Mm. And you said a few minutes ago, you didn't really have the time. Think about how many people you'd already coached when you mm-hmm. were doing the stuff with Lamarck. Have you thought about that since then? I, I, I don't know if I could put a number to it. Yeah. But you work with a lot of people. Practice that thing you've just said, I imagine. Yeah. With lots and lots of different people and lots of different stages of their lives and stages of lots of different pasts they weren't letting be in the past and lots of, I don't know, I, I've never been. And, and so I only know about it from people and clients that I've spoken to, but I just, I just get this sense that, you know, it is that, you know, one of the great contributions of it. And I don't know how cult like it is, right? Cause I've never been, but you know, it's not. It, doesn't really, it doesn't really matter, you know, what, what it has done for lots of people is opened the door in that way that you just described, right? And what yes. in, in so many ways for so many people. And that's an incredible contribution, really. And so, yeah, you many, many, much practice at doing that for you. Yeah, a lot of practice. And, and again, uh, not really getting that that's what I was doing. I was just doing what there was to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, a. I think, the reason that the organization gets uh, frowned upon maybe is it's a tough organization. Like it's, it's mostly volunteer driven. 
anytime you're mostly volunteer driven, anything, it's going to get weird. Um, there are people who, uh, you, we said nothing's off limits, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, I believe that there are people who can kind of become transformation junkies, mm-hmm. you know, like they'll find something, whether that, whether it's the landmark forum or, uh, some, or Tony Robbins or some other coursework where, uh, the showing up to that work and doing that stuff and being part of that community becomes central in their lives. Right. And you know, if you're related to those people or close to those people, that probably seems weird. Mm. Uh, and so then, you know, that the cult word gets thrown around or people think it's strange. Um, for me, I kind of ran my course, uh, through it. I did a lot of the work and I came to a crossroads where I felt like I either needed to decide I'm going to, you know, be a landmark forum leader, right? Which is a really intense road (laughs) or I need to go do something else. I need to stop doing this. Right. Cause the, I didn't really care about hanging out. Um, I just, I liked the work and I liked the people. Um, so I, and then when I moved to Nashville, there was not, there's no, um, office in Nashville. There's not really a community there. So it was easy to go, okay, I can stop now. (laughs) But when I came back to Texas and found this company, almost everyone who worked there, I knew from Landmark Education, you know, partly because if they were trying to, if they had this sudden demand for people who could do that holding the space that you just talked about, where were they going to come from? Right. Well, one of the places is going to be a community like that. Yes. Yeah. And when in this process that, you know, that, that commitment that you talked about to not, to only make money from, to stop Mm -hmm. the day jobs, speech Mm -hmm. marks, day jobs. When did that, was that early in the process? When did that come in? Yeah. Right away. Right. That was the thing, kind of the first time, the first thing. July, 1997, during those three days of the landmark forum, I said, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Amazing. Yeah. It's not easy, but it took me three or four months to unwind, you know, and, and go, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then, and you, I think you said 2008 then was when you moved into this. You, I love the story. It's so good that yeah, I, I can't remember if I laughed out loud. So, you know, listeners might not have heard it, but when you said you hung up with your friend and, um, and then you were like, Oh, wait a second. Ding, wait a light bulb. Uh, I love that story. It's so good. And, and, you know, it's it's an interesting, you're not the first person who I've had on the show who had, for some reason, ended up going from zero to a lot of clients at once. And I think uh, Phil Bolton, who was a mentor of mine, who I interviewed way back in episode two, you know, his was, he somehow talked himself on the way out of his coaching training. He was an accountant. He somehow talked himself into a job in the internal coaching team at the giant accountancy firm he was in and suddenly was full-time coaching which is quite a thing. Now, I guess a little bit different for you because you've been, you've done this stuff with Landmark. You had some of that practice, even if you didn't necessarily, you hadn't necessarily joined all those dots, but what was it like to suddenly have 37 clients? It was awesome. <laughs> what was awesome? Uh, you know, it was, it was done very well. We had a, 
a really robust framework to walk people through. Um, you know, I didn't have to make it up. Uh, there were all of the, all of the, the boundaries, all of the, this is where you start. This is where you finish. All of that was there, which was really great. Um, it was challenging. I had the calls. So, so any client I had, I talked to three times a month. So we'd usually do three weeks in a row and a week off and, uh, 45 minute calls. Now I had 37 clients. So that means that I had days where I had eight or nine calls, right? So that means if I don't stop in 45 minutes, I don't get to leave the chair. So I tell you what, I got really good at getting it done in 45 minutes and serving my client. Everything's good, but I'm off the phone in 45 minutes because I got to pee. You know, I got to, uh, I got to stand up. I got to do something. I got to get a drink of water. Yeah. Um, I, as a little aside, I just love that story. Like I noticed that they, there's a company that I do coaching for now and they changed the way the pay works, which, cause I'm interested in, in incentives. I thought was really smart. Because yeah. the pay used to work basically, I got paid by the minute, right? For essentially, so like if I if it was scheduled for forty five minutes and I did forty seven minutes, I would get the forty five minute fee plus two forty bits of it or whatever the math is, right. and that incentivizes essentially sessions overrunning wherever I can fit it into my diary, right? Even for someone incredibly responsible and who prides and you know who uh, focuses on integrity as much as I do, let alone somebody who's less interested in that, right? And, and what's the in, what's the impact on that for the, the people being coached is right. that meetings overrun, maybe when they don't want to, it's that they can't count on the scheduling, it's all these kind of things, it's that the clients, the companies don't know what they're paying because they don't know, maybe they don't know how much it gets charged or margins eaten into whatever. As soon as you change it to, I just noticed myself, even me, like I said, with the responsibility and the aim to finish on time, I noticed myself straight away, as soon as it changed to, you get paid for what was scheduled however long it takes. So you get paid for what's scheduled if they if you finish after five minutes or if they don't show up. But you also get paid for, for let's say, 45 minutes if you run for an hour and three quarters. And it was just really interesting that what happened yeah. to me straight away was some version of what you just said, right? And yeah. there's slightly different reasons, but I am very, the way I coach now, when I, I used to do a lot more longer sessions, but because that company tends to be 30 or 45 minute sessions, and I'm really good at getting, like you say, getting it done in that time, finishing on yeah. the minute, you know, if, if yep. necessary, occasionally running over because that's what served the clients. Sure. Like, you know, my other coaching never, like almost never do I run long sessions anymore. I mean, I do sometimes, but mostly I don't because I know exactly how powerful it can be to run an effective 30 or 45 minute conversation. Yeah. So I just think there's a, I think I have said this on the show before, but I think what you're speaking to is one of the real benefits of working within someone else's framework is that you learn a load of stuff from that about what you like and what you don't and yeah. what works and what doesn't and how working in particular ways is useful and when it isn't. And that's that's a pretty valuable thing. And I can really imagine also that just when you're starting out in this way, having a load of stuff to fall back on so that you're not having to make yeah. every decision yourself about how you work was really useful. Very useful. And there's no way I would have carried on in the way that I have without that. Um, so eight hours a day, five days a week, coaching people and uh, traveling and playing music every weekend, sometimes weeknights. 
uh, it was a lot. Uh, I'm not sure how long I would have lasted because I have a natural aversion to showing up at an office. <laughs> were and, you doing it in an office or were you, was, yeah. you actually had to go somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I did. And um, my boss and I, who she later became my coach for a long time. I We've known each other a long time. Uh, it's actually Miles, my podcast partner. It's his mom. Yeah, I was going to ask you about is, that. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of hilarious, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we had a lot of interesting discussions where I would come in and say, okay, look, there's no reason I can't do this from home. And she would tell me all of the reasons that she, she was like, no, this is why we're doing this. We're not going to do it that way. Um, so then fast forward a little bit, uh, 2009, by then the world economy was kind of in the toilet and people were not buying high dollar coaching programs. And these were not cheap programs um, by any means. And I'm not convinced that they had the most sustainable business model, this particular company, the way it was set up. I think, uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit because you said you do work for an organization that supplies coaching. And I've thought about that business model and how do you actually do that successfully <laughs> uh, quite a bit? Cause I think it's a really difficult thing to do as an organization. Yeah. But, it, yeah. but in any case, I left not long after the organization folded, but um, I knew at that point that there was no way I was going to stop coaching people that first of all, it paid well. Um, and that I love it. And I don't, I don't like it any more or less than I like playing music. It's, uh, it jazzes me just as much. Yeah. Um, so I dabbled for a bit, uh, carried over a couple of clients, um, worked for Bob Doyle again, who's a friend, uh, when he was, uh, trying to spin up another coaching business or, or at least keep his going for a little while. And then, uh, then I had a kid. Well, I didn't have him. You know, my wife had him. Um, we had a child. A child came upon us. And it became clear to me that if I was, that I needed to get serious about uh, the coaching business and maybe grow it a little bit. And that was, I guess, 10 years ago at this point. Yeah. Let's get into that in a minute. But before we do that, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, but I don't no. think we've ever talked on this show either about the secret. And you mentioned oh, that, yeah. and yeah, sure. I've never read it, and I didn't actually know until hmm. uh, until essentially doing research for this interview that it had started from a documentary. Um, yes, that the yes. book is based on the documentary, and then of course, and then I, I, I also didn't know because somehow it passed me by that they that Katie Holmes starred in a kind of like film about. Uh, you know about it which came out like a couple of years ago or, or you know, yeah which some, i haven't seen i keep i see it and i'm like should i no nah, i don't want to um but yeah. but so but for a lot of people it was a huge deal and it definitely what? you know reached an enormous number of people and I, yeah somehow it surprises me you can hear it probably hear it, it we haven't really talked about the secret or the law of attraction on mm. this podcast which seems a bit strange because it's such a 
I don't know, such a thing. Yeah. But I wonder, like, you know, maybe I'm curious about the frameworks you were working with, and if because the because um, Bob and Jovis Harley were both featured in that documentary, right? I don't know how much their work is influenced by that and how it all related, but yeah, when you like, what's yeah, what's your reflections on the secret yeah. on on that kind of thing? Well, be, a couple of years before all of that happened, maybe 2006, somebody told me about the documentary. And it's the first thing I ever streamed, first video I ever streamed on a computer. You paid like five bucks and it and you could watch it. And first of all, I was like, wow, that's really cool, you know, <laughs> um, which seems silly now because that's the only way I watch anything. Uh, I found the documentary mildly annoying. <laughs> Um, okay. it wasn't bad, but it felt like it didn't tell me anything. It just made me, it just gave me more questions that I wanted to ask. It's like, they'd come right up to the edge of telling you something, but it, I didn't really feel like it told me anything. Um, I'll probably get in trouble for that too. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't read the book and I still haven't. Yeah. I have it. Um, Joe Vitale and Bob Doyle both had books rooted in the law of attraction. And that's really what we were coaching. Yeah. You know, and maybe we for were... people who, who have never heard of that spoken about in this way, mm -hmm. if yeah. you feel qualified to do this, obviously yeah, people can I, Google it. Like, oh, I'm, give oh, us, I'm give, qualified. Uh, give us, so, give us the law of attraction. The, the idea that, that was, that was in which those books were rooted. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of depends on, on who you're reading, but Basically, if you, uh, how I describe it is like this. If you uh, are into quantum physics at all or even have ever even heard of it, uh, I am not a scientist. I'm a musician. So, uh, you know, I may sound scientifical at times, but that's as close as I get. Uh, everything is made up of tiny particles, right? Everything. Those particles have crazy names, you know, atoms quarks, whatever. Uh, all of those particles are the same thing. They're all made up of the exact same material. So the, the particles that make up my body and that make up this microphone and that make up the space in between my body and this microphone are all the same. Materially, they're all the same. And they're all moving. They're all vibrating. And so the particles that vibrate in the same way gather together. So the particles that make up water are attracted to each other and they hang out together. And that's how you get a drop and a pool and a pond and an ocean. And human beings are very much the same way. And you know that when you walk into a room and people are bummed out, you can feel it the minute you walk in your energy. You could be having a great time, but you walk in and somebody's upset or having a fight and you can feel yourself just shut down. Whoa. And you have the opposite thing too. Somebody comes in a room and they're just charismatic and full of life and you can feel it. Right? Well, it's a, it makes sense that, whatever energy a human being is exuding in that way is going to pull to them, attract to them 
the opportunities, the people and the experiences that line up with that. Like, I know that I have met people before who seem to just have a little dark cloud over their head all the time. And if you look at the circumstances of their life, they often line up with that. And I've met people on the flip side of that too, who seems like everything's easy. Uh, Most of us are somewhere in the middle, I think, but, uh, uh, you know, it's just like that, that, uh, the idea of the law of the attraction is that, and I'm going to, um, this is terrible. What I'm about to say is that like attracts like, so however you are vibrating, however a human being is vibrating, that's how you are getting whatever you're getting in life. It's just really hard to identify how you're vibrating. And most people, or should I say a lot of people don't necessarily want to look at it that way because that means you're responsible for everything that's happening around you. Um, And that can be a lot to swallow. Uh, So we had a framework that walked people through um, the higher concept that I just kind of talked about um, and how to uh, shift, if you will, how you're vibrating, how you're, what's going on with you internally so that you could actually change your results. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you for sharing. I hope I made sense somewhere in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think people will have heard resonances of lots of other, you know, it's like lots of things that they already know, even if they had never come across that before, there'll be, there'll be parts of that that just really land with people. The one that really landed with me is she'd never really seen about the law of attraction before my, you know, my friend, Catherine, when we were doing coaching training, she was really interested in it. So I, that's where I learned about it really. But you know, the, the one that I'd never seen linked to that is right. It's kind of hard to, what the, one of the requirements for it is that you're part of, you're part of the problem. Um, you know, like you, that if you've got problems, you know, you are the problem. Um, yeah. and that's a hard thing to hold. And I think that's always a hard thing to hold. Like it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot kind of nicer a feeling, even though not good for you, but it's a lot nicer a feeling to believe that everything is everyone else's fault and all happens outside of you. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. The first conversation I have with every client is about responsibility. And not the responsibility of like when you're a kid and you break the lamp or when your parents say someday you'll grow up and you'll have responsibilities because Lord knows I didn't want those, whatever that was. But from the point of view that you are 100% responsible for everything in your life, I don't require that you think that's true. But if you try it on, what you find is it's just the most powerful place to stand. Because if it's not coming from you, then you're a victim of it and you can't change it. You can't do anything about it. If it's coming from you, at least you have a shot. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I don't require you to, (laughs) to believe it. Right. I just require you to try this on and see what happens. And I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. And what people mostly find is there is a kind of, there is a dreadful side to it because there's this like side of it, which is like, Oh shit. Yeah, all this stuff oh, yeah. is on me. Right? Yeah, but well, the first about... time I heard it, I was like, "No, no, no, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want that." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's kind of it is. Yeah, it's hard, and there's times to like 
in my experience of trying that on, there's times to let yourself off the hook of it so you can relax for a few minutes. But mostly if you want to keep changing your life into the directions you want to do it, sitting anywhere else really is um, makes things harder, I think. Well, have you ever like woken up and you're just in a weird mood? You know, your brain's noisy or it's just spitting out all the negative stuff or whatever it is. I think the the thing is, that's when I notice that when I can go, wait a minute, this is all me. I'm not having a bad day because of anything outside of me. It's all me. All I have to do is shift. All I have, I have the power to change that. Yeah. And you, that's kind of, I'm going to say it wrong because I write something really similar in one of my books, but you know, is it the only thing getting in your way is you? Is that what it says at the top of your website? Something like it that? It does. Yeah. Yeah. The it's only lovely. Thing that gets in your way is you because it is. Yeah. And you, you also <laughs> see this great thing somewhere that like your, your brain is an asshole or yes. can be an asshole. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and everyone who's listening is like, oh yeah, that's true, isn't it? And, <laughs> um, and then yeah. you said this really nice thing and something on your website you said if you if you let your brain be in charge then that creates difficult things for you and i just wanted to catch it because it's this really interesting thing if your brain's not in charge who's in charge at that point what's better than your brain being in charge well you are not your brain you are not your mind you are not that voice that you hear in your head. If you were, how would you hear it? That would be weird. <laughs> uh, there is a you that is that you can only find underneath that, that quiet, still part. Um, your brain is organized to do one thing really well, keep you alive. That is its primary mission, is to keep you alive. And it's, I always say, I think it's the greatest problem-solving machine that there is. But if you don't give it something to do, it'll make problems for itself to solve. And your brain can turn anything into a problem. Anything. I mean, have you ever met somebody who's really dramatic? You know, everything's drama, everything's a big deal. Is it really? Or is that just their brain turning everything into a big deal? Yeah. Or, or one of my favorites is um, how quickly I, and I've, I've seen clients and uh, other people, and it's, it's, it's a coach's thing, but it's also lots of other professionals thing, move from how quickly I move from, God, I just don't have enough clients. I'm, you know, how am I going to get enough clients to wait a minute? I think if I'm not careful, I'm going to have too many clients. <laughs> How am I going to cope with that? My life's going to be hell. You know, it's really fast. It happen, can happen in the space of five minutes. And then you it, can, know, it, it can be happening wonderful. at the same time. Fantastic. You can be saying, I need more clients. And then underneath that, there's this other thought going, no, don't have more clients. And you won't have yeah. any time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's I awful. Love it. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. So Bill, like you then, let's just to kind of yeah. touch back into the story, you... Oh, we could. No, let's catch the... So I can tell you a little bit about... Um, so I work for BetterUp, who are now, I would oh, say, yeah. the, the the market-leading selling coaching at scale. Um, and I'm I, you know, I'm contractually obliged to not talk about quite a lot. So I might get in trouble in this bit if well, I say... Yeah, well, you don't have to. That's fine. The, we the wrong thing. But on a high level, I think they are 
opening up markets for coaching that didn't exist before. Now, which, the continual. I, I think that's fantastic. Like, it's, it's really interesting. I want the world to get coached. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think and it's I, great. I think the way they're doing that is is two things. I think they are, they, they do have um, what boundaries and training and uh, expectations of their coaches, which broadly raise everybody to a certain reliable level. Although, of course, you can never be sure of that, which enables them to confidently sell coaching at scale and enables people to confidently buy coaching at scale, which is one of the hard things, right? You know, if I, if someone comes to me, a big company and says, Robbie, you know, I know this, I know they're, you know, some, their head of people or whatever. And they say, Robbie, we want to put 400 people through coaching. Like I can probably get to about 40 coaches who I know right. would deliver something that I could sell with confidence, but I don't right. know whatever I just said, 400. And right. so, whereas I think that one of the things they are trying to do is that another thing I think they're doing is, is collecting a lot of data on coaching which hasn't existed before and using that to then make it make a case for it in a way that it hasn't been able to make before and probably also bill they're around at the right time that this stuff yeah. you know 2006 yeah. was like a little early probably um or 2008 when you were working for that company and yeah. now is about right you know there's this there is a bit more awakening to that stuff yeah. i would say that was early days and we were termed life coaches yeah, before that was something that got made fun of on national television, yeah, yeah. Um, which is one of the, you know, I, I haven't, I don't call myself that because in certain circles, it, it sounds frivolous and it's not frivolous. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because I'm one of my favorite, um, <laughs> one of my favorite, I really like Steve Chandler. I don't know if you've come across him, mm. but uh, in one of his books, he's a, he's a coach, coach for a long time. And, somebody he says he's a he talks about himself as a life coach sometimes i think and he says if people say who do you you know who do you work with he says well i'm a life coach so i work with anyone who's got a life um and it's like that's a that is a bit of a frivolous joke and it's also not because it's like well what's more important than that and right does that you know would you like your life to be different in some way would you you know is the possibility yeah. for that? And most people would answer yes in some way. And then, well, there's probably somebody who could help you with it. So yeah, it's a funny thing. There's a, there's a, there's a kind of British sitcom called peep show. And there's this fantastic episode where um, one of the characters does a life coaching uh, diploma thing for like a, uh, a day or something, and then uses it to essentially um, sleep with people or, tr or try to do that. And which is an absolutely fantastic um fantastic episode but does definitely pollute the life coaching frame at that yeah. time too yeah um so bill so you came to the end of that and knew that you didn't want coaching to stop that that had to yeah. carry on yeah. and so what did you do <laughs> how did you 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 because you, you, you'd at that point you'd never had to build a coaching business right you'd be nope. you'd probably by this point you've coached hundreds maybe thousands of people i don't know how long it was over the course of hundreds. a year like yeah. hundreds yeah, that's quite something. Plus all the time and energy and learning at Landmark. So you could definitely do the work, but how did you how did you do the work? Yeah. Uh well, uh not very well for a little while. Uh interestingly, not long after I left, I had one client find me, someone that I'd had four conversations with. That's it. And he found me. 
after uh, that company went away, we're still working together. And I really didn't know how to get clients. I had no idea. So I, um, I did get some help kind of from Bob Doyle. He still had feelers out there and, and things running. I did a couple of group coaching programs, um, with him, you know, sort of for him. Uh, and a couple of those people became one-on-one clients. And, uh, I think I went through about maybe five years or four years of, you know, it being very unstable. I'd have one or two clients at any given time. Right. But I was also traveling a lot uh, for music and up to a lot of things with that. So that it was kind of okay, you know, to not have a whole lot. Um, When it came time to get a little more serious about it, when was that and why was that? Well, uh, we had a kid and oh, yeah. I decided, you know, I don't want to not be home. Mm. And if I want to really make money at music, I have to never be home. Yeah. I have to be on the road pretty much all the time. Um, and I didn't want to do that. So I had a coach and we were talking about it and I was about to, um, First of all, let me just back up for a second and say that marketing myself as a coach on the internet was never um, a, a useful option for me. I made attempts here and there at that. I never did it well, and it never worked. Um, even though that's how I'd gotten every client I ever gotten, it's just somebody else was doing that part. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me doing it. Um, I still don't do it. <laughs> yeah, wh- why didn't it work for you, do you think? Uh, I, I think mostly because I was never really willing to do what it would take to jump up and down and yell really loud and, uh, put myself out there in a way that felt really inauthentic to me at that time and have to say things just to get people to show up. And I didn't think I would get the clients that I really wanted that way anyway. So the other thing that I did around this period of time was I also decided that I really wanted to focus on people who own or run a business. Uh, In my time, uh, when I coached a lot of people, the clients that I found most interesting and that I had the most fun with all had their own businesses. Um, Why do you think that was? Like, what was it? It goes back to the start of the conversation, right? What was interesting about that for you? I think it's because I've had my own business uh, forever. You know, 1997, I said, hey, that's it. I'm going to be a musician. It's the only thing I'm going to do. I don't think I really thought about it the same way, but I've been running at various levels of success my own business for a really long time uh, and have learned more about that than I even thought I had. Um, I just found it interesting, and I wanted to see if I can get somebody out of their own way in their business, will their business results change? And the answer is yes. Uh, almost every time. So, uh, I was about to leave on a tour for 22 days and it was July. I was leaving in August and 
typically the only way that I would get clients is I would meet someone or run into someone and we'd have a chat and they'd end up being a client. Right. And you have to understand that at that time I kept my life as a coach and my life as a musician, very separate. There was musician bill and coach bill and musician bill didn't talk about coach bill and coach bill didn't really talk about musician bill. Uh, I think I had a lot of fear that business people who want to coach wouldn't take me seriously because I'm a musician and music people wouldn't think I was a pro because I do this other thing, all a bunch of crap. Right. But that's how it was in my head for a little while. And so I'm talking to my coach. I'm very concerned. I need some more clients. I'm about to go on this tour and, and I'm worried. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And she said, well, tell me about this tour. Do you meet people on this tour? And I said, (laughs) yes. She said, do you talk to people when you tour? I said, yes. She goes, so what's the problem exactly? The problem was that I had it all separated out right in my head. So all I did was I went on this tour and my antenna was up and I was listening and I came home with two clients. Right. And there's some, there's some kind of law of attraction echo there, right? It's like, it, if, yeah, I'm, I think you know, so. if I'm like, you know, some kind of of it, echo of it. I want to catch though this, this dividing line that you put in place. Mm. So I think it's really interesting. Um, it's not because it's not self-evident that some business people wouldn't think that thing about a right. musician coaching them, for example. Yeah. And some music people wouldn't make a judgment about somebody who's on one level, part-time music, part-time coach. Mm-hmm. And so what was it like if you look back on that now on that 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 line you draw and that separation, like what how did it serve you? And then how did you kind of work through it? when when that needed to be worked through it didn't serve me at all it got in my way big time and i don't think i even could see how much it was getting in my way because let's face it it's it's not authentic it's not that's not me i am both those things so for me to really show up for me to really be who i am i have to be all of those things um Unwinding it was a little more difficult, took a little more time, but I think it comes down to this. First of all, music people who don't, who can't get who I am after 35 years of uh, performing and playing, well, I don't really care, quite honestly. Um, And I feel a little bit the same about uh, prospective clients. They're just not my people and that's okay. I remember being at a networking event. And I'd gone to this one several times. I don't think I ever got a client out of it, but I I liked it. It was the people were fun. And it was one of those things. I don't know if you guys have these where at some point, the whole room, everybody would do like 30 seconds on who they are, right? Well, this one particular day, I think it's the last one that I went to, there were six other coaches there. That had never happened. Like I was usually the only one or there were two. There were six. And guess who was the last one to say <laughs> anything? Yeah, I can kind of feel the internal. I don't know if it was like this for you, but the kind of 
internal like fear at this point of being uh, like, oh no, come on. Yeah, and and I'm standing there in line and I'm like, well, what am I gonna say now? Because anything I was gonna say, they already said, right? But then it hit me that it's great that there are six coaches there. And that's what I said. I'm like, look, I'm a coach. Here's what I do. There's six of us here. If you've ever thought about coaching, like having a coach, talk to one of us. One of us will make sense to you. And that's the one you should hire. And that's how it is. Lovely. And you know what? I had my coach. She said to me one day, I was talking about this whole thing of business people won't take me seriously. And she goes, business people want to be you. <laughs> they wish they were that cool. So, so you're okay. Yeah, yeah. And the ones so that don't, well, they're not your, your client and that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Yes. Lovely. So much lovely stuff in there. In there, Bill, one of the things I thought you were going to say, you know, I really thought that story was going to end up being you introduce yourself as a musician. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, well, I and the, the reason that I'm going to pull, I'm going to say that anyway, partly because it's funny, but also partly because it's a really nice exercise that Phil, who I mentioned before, actually, when he was he was training me, gave us, and I've repurposed it a bit. We'll, we'll find a link for people who want it on a video that I made years ago about mastering, about personal branding, really, mm. which is the idea, like, if there were 100 coaches in a room and everyone puts their hand up and then people read out statements at the front and you keep your hand up if the statement's true and you put it down if it's not... How do you get all the other coaches in the room to have their hands down and you to keep yours up? And, you know, I'm, I'm Bill, I'm a coach and I'm also a musician, you know, or I'm also a professional musician. That probably gets like 97 of the 100 hands down at that point. And there'll <laughs> yeah. be a couple of others, right? Because yeah, there's sure. this interesting, like we could talk about this, but I've seen it in the pattern in this show. There's a, there's a, there's a thing about creative pursuits and coaching yes. that in my view means that it, there are probably more people who are musicians and coaches, dancers and coaches, uh, other kinds of performers and coaches than you would um, expect because there are things that you learn if you play music for a long time that are really useful when when you're yeah. coaching, would be my my view. Um, but yeah, I thought you, I thought, I thought you were, you were going to say that, which would, <laughs> which would have been lovely. Um, hmm. hey. and I, oh, go on. I, I want to ask you something because you yeah. said it a while ago and it's going to, it's going to slip away. Yeah. As we were talking about uh session time, you know, 45 minutes or an hour and stopping. And, and you said that you have a big focus on integrity mm. and you had asked me earlier about landmark and, and all of that. And that's probably the other piece that I took from the coach training part of that. That's enormous is integrity. However, I'm not always sure that my definition is the same as somebody else's. Uh, interesting. So when you say integrity, what do you mean? That's a great question. Well, here's what's coming out. So for me, what first came up was it's a combination of other things that come up. And so I wonder if that means that it is some, you know, then I then I just suddenly caught the, what the, 
linguistic stem of that word, which sounds to me like it's something to do with integrating things. Mm. Um, and so there's a way in which, for me, integrity is um, is a is a kind of combination of honesty and um, and kind of keeping our word. I sometimes talk about I talk about honor quite a lot these days. I'm interested in that as an idea. I think that's kind of wrapped in it too. It's quite a lot. Yeah, as I'm speaking about it, it feels like, you know, and there's probably a link to authenticity. You know, there's like, are you an, am I an integrated person, which enables me to be that person in one place and another and another and over time, you mm-hmm. know, is, is some, is kind of what's coming up, but it's, it's absolutely fascinating to me that I have never, that I don't have an answer to that. It's very yeah. surprising to me, actually. Yeah. What what are you noticing about what I say and, and what's, yeah, and what's your definition? I think I, um, my initial definition is an oversimplification. Yeah. Um, and I've thought about this too, or what are the other things that it means? But initially for me, it's honoring your word as yourself. Yeah. So when I give my word to something. Did I say that? Because I thought that in the middle of it my got, reflection. It got there. in there. You said, you said something about Doing your Doing what we say we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that does feel like a big part of it. But like really taking that as far as you can take it. Now that doesn't mean that like, for example, today, uh, I said I'd, you know, be here at 8.30. Now if, uh, I don't know, if my dog ran away, what I would have to do to be in integrity is communicate to you that, Hey, I've had an emergency. I can't do that. Here's what I can do. Right. Yeah. Um, which you get out in the world. Like I, I surrounded myself and try to surround myself with people who can do that in life, but man, there's not many of them and you get out in the world and there's fewer and fewer and fewer, uh, but it's one of the ways that I, I figure out who I can work with and who I can't. Not from a client standpoint necessarily, but from a, in business. If I'm going to do business with anyone else, they have to be able to do that. Or I can't do it. I just can't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, like, and it's, I, I'm sure you get this with clients as well. You know, I have some, I have never, I don't think I've ever thought about it that clearly, but it's definitely, that is definitely true of me as well. And in terms of colleagues and collaborators, and once you get out into the world, yeah, you kind of experience, you get it with clients, like they'll tell you about the things that they are dealing with in their workplaces. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, sometimes they, they exhibit it too. And it's interesting to both yes. deal with that, but also, you know, I think one of the things that coaches often do is, well, one of the things we're doing is we're, 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 we're doing some unusual things, right? Which, which people want to have more of in their life. And that's part of why they pay us. And one of the things that I really try and do for my clients is, you know, there's enough people canceling meetings on them at the last minute, right? Never, you know, always be a person that will not do that is, is one yeah. of the things that, that, that for me feels, feels important. Yeah. I think it, that, this, this idea of integrity is, is interesting. I think it is 
it is a lot about it is a lot about doing what you say you will do but it's not it's not yeah you're right it's not just that um I it's not I, just that I think but, but it's but because uh, there's like this thing that i notice like a sign that i'm out of integrity is i keep uh because i'll have something i'm trying to think if there's one that i'm happy to share yeah maybe this will make me do the thing right i i think that about six years ago i stood on one of my friend's phones and broke it right broke the screen what happened was i kind of half stood on the phone while there was quite a few of us in a room and um i later on i saw my friend examine his phone and that the screen was cracked now he didn't say anything if he said why oh my phone's broken i'm sure i would have said oh no that was probably me i half stood on it like 10 minutes ago and didn't even notice but now you're looking at it i noticed it he didn't say anything and then i didn't say anything and so that to me when i, I get that flashes into my mind every let's That's say out of integrity. Well, like yeah. six months that will come into my yeah. mind and often with these things i will go like i learned this from one of my coaches you can you can plug that integrity gap like yes. like just like you said like you know, because there might be a time when you didn't show up for this meeting and um, you didn't have time to, to 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 email me because actually someone's so ill or you're so ill or the dog's like, you actually need to chase the dog down the street, right. you know, that actually it makes no sense for you to be emailing some dude from, a, from across the Atlantic. Um, and it's absolutely fine. But you could still come back to me later, explain and clean, and, it, up. And clean yeah. it up, right? Yeah. So... That's an interesting aspect of integrity. My friend's phone is one of the ones I've cleared some, I cleared a bunch of this stuff up. I have almost none. That's one that I still have hanging that I need to message him about. Although, and I don't mind, I've got over myself to the point where I don't mind messaging him now, five years right. later and going, I know this is going to sound really weird, Yeah, but here's. But the I need yeah. to message you this thing. Um, right. You know, and that's like, it's it's a really interesting practice but but what's interesting the reason i mentioned that is when are you going to do that robbie yeah yeah good, good yeah yeah nice, nice. <laughs> um but uh well, <laughs> the reason i'm mentioning it now though is uh, i'm interested in this inquiry into integrity it's not quite the same is it as as keeping our word it's like it's or it's like mm. keeping the spirit the spirit of what would be our word if we'd given it what's yeah what's your reflection well so honoring your word as yourself mm. It's more than showing up on time. Yeah, yeah. So say more right? about honoring your so, word as yourself. In a way, when you step on your friend's phone and it breaks and you don't say anything, you're not honoring yourself. Mm -hmm. You get that? Yeah. And you're not, well, you're not saying anything, so there's no word in there, right? Yeah. Um, but you also, you have given your word to showing up a particular way in life. And that doesn't line up with it. Maybe we're getting, one of the things we're getting into is a distinction between honesty and integrity, right? Which is that uh, honesty, I haven't done anything technically. I mean, as soon as you say technically, you know, so you have, but like, <laughs> you know, by, by the letter of most dictionary definitions of the word honesty, I haven't, yeah. there's no breach of honesty. But no. there is a breach of integrity because the integrity yes. is is more than that. It's it's yes. more action focused. In fact, right. despite us coming to your word being kind of key to it, actually, my reflection in this moment is integrity is more action based than word than than word based. Right? Yes. It's, whereas honesty Absolutely. can be word purely word based, uh, yes. kind of. Yeah. 
No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, interesting. Why do you think integrity matters? (laughs) I don't know how I got anything done before without it, first of all. Um, You know, I think one of the big things is something you just pointed out. So you have this, it's a very small thing, right? You had this uh, event where you may or may not have half stood on your friend's phone and the screen cracked. It was years ago. It's still bothering you. Yeah. When your head is full of a bunch of things like that, which if you have no relationship to integrity, it will be. Uh, it's hard to function. It's hard to do anything. Um, and it's a million sticks to beat yourself with that you don't even know you're doing. Um, you probably just feel like a major screw up all the time. Uh, one thing about integrity, you know, it's not a forever state We're we're in and out, right? Like you said, you can plug this, you can plug that, right? Yeah. And then something else will happen and you'll be out or you'll be late or you'll be, it's fine. It's not supposed to be a forever state, but when you can come back to a state of integrity, it feels clean. It feels open. It feels spacious in a way that I did not experience before I had the distinction. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. And these things that, you know, I'm, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. It just reminded me of, you know, I had this one, I had a, one of my oldest friends when we were like, you know, 12, some reason we got into like a, a fight, except it wasn't really a fight. It's just, I punched him. Do you know what I mean? It's like, doesn't, I, there aren't many stories like that. That's not the kind of, you know, kid I was, place yeah. I grew up. I had this wonderful opportunity. Just it, for some reason, it came up this thing. Like I was half in a conversation like four years ago. I was in, there was like two groups of us. It was on my stag do actually half half in this conversation, I heard them talking about it. It was amazing because I got the chance to turn to him, you know, I don't know what, 25 years later and say, I I know I said it at the time. Like I remember saying at the time we made up, right. We're still friends, but I got to say, you know, I still think about that a lot. And I'm really sorry. You know, what a clean, like what a relief. Yeah. Um, And well, and and even just think about in a, in a relationship, in a intimate relationship, right. Um, being in integrity is also about being responsible for yourself and your actions. And how many times do you, or have you said something that maybe didn't land well <laughs> over there with your partner? Uh, oh, me, because, me, me, never, never, Bill. Well, no, I know that never <laughs> happens to you, but for the rest of us. Uh, and just having the ability to clean that up yeah. Even if it's a day later or whenever it is and saying, listen, I'm sorry, you know, I, that came out of my mouth in a way that uh, I didn't want it to come out. And, and I apologize. And right in that moment, the integrity of the relationship is restored. Yeah. Yeah. My feeling is, I, I, this is a lost relic of my art actually that, that needs to come out at some point, but my feeling is that my now wife and my combined ability to mostly have somebody who's centered enough to say, I'm sorry, 
most of the time is what has enabled our enabled our relationship to absolutely to, to last and endure and develop and grow yeah. and you know it, it's just a it's just a move that is open to everyone you know it's like except when except for you right the only it gets another thing right the only thing that gets in the way of doing that is is yeah. is me and yeah. um yeah i think as a move it's a really hard one to stay angry with. It's not impossible. Like I manage it, but uh, you know, not for not for too long to stay angry with somebody when they can genuinely and with integrity, right? You can feel it. Say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Let's do a little jump back. There's a thing that I you've done one, um, and I've got a, a a little thing that if we don't catch it, I'll, it'll it'll slip away. Which is you said how you used to end up with clients is mm. you would just meet someone, run into them, and then they become a client. Mm-hmm. And I wonder That's still you, how I get clients. I know. I wonder if you could like <laughs> slow that down for somebody yeah. who's maybe just starting out or, mm-hmm. or has had exactly the same situation as you. They've had, I was yeah. speaking to somebody just this weekend who's work coaching work has been almost all through an organization, which has been wonderful, but there's some problems with it. And she probably, I would I would guess she'll be out of that organization, at least that team, within the next year, but she's never run her own business. And it's like, well, where the hell do they come from? And well, where they come right. from is just like your coach was saying, well, where do you meet people ever? And if you if you don't, like genuinely, and this is not impossible because we live in the post-pandemic world, people work from sure. home, they, you know. But if you meet people ever, then that's where they come from, you know, yeah. to some extent. But what how for you? How does that mm-hmm. actually happen? How does it go from some go from running into someone somewhere to them paying you some money to do some coaching with you? Yeah. I don't know if it works any different than if you have some sort of lead generation on the internet and end up talking to someone on the phone, but right. um, for me, a lot of my clients, and I didn't expect this, you know, back in the day when I worked for an organization, um, my clientele was international. You know, Australia, Tokyo, UK, uh, <clears throat> Netherlands, South America, you name it. Now, they are almost, not completely, but almost all local. Uh, where, you know, I used to go to a lot of chamber meetings, chamber of commerce and I just became someone who was there and you meet people. And, uh, the very first one I ever went to, uh, which is a, it's a bad thing. Cause then it sets up an expectation that, you know, it's not going to happen, but the very first chamber meeting I ever went to, I'm having a conversation with this guy. He's has an insurance business. Um, and <clears throat> Usually it goes like this. Someone asks me what I do. Uh, I tell them I'm a musician and I'm also a business and personal coach. And one of two things will happen. They'll either start talking about something else or they'll say, really, you're a coach. What is that? What do you do? So I'll say something like, well, uh, as far as I can tell, you know, you're the only thing that ever gets in your way. And I help people get out of their own way so they can do better at what they do. That. And just for the listeners, just steal that. Like you can just take yeah, that and say that exact thing to somebody. And it and worked. 
it's it's a really i can imagine how powerful it is to say that will either lead us to hey let's go have a coffee and chat about this further or okay that's great and i'll see you later yeah um and when we do have a coffee and we chat about it um my job is to do that thing i talked about which is really be with that person and hold space i'm not going to sit there and fix anything for them but i want to hear what they're dealing with and what's going on and maybe uh try to speak to it in a way that lets them know that there's some other way to approach it than how they're approaching it uh and then i ask them if you know they think they might want to hire me in one way or another sometimes i actually just did this not long ago uh, i've had a fair amount of clients come from the fact that people know me as a musician um, a whole lot more people know me as a musician than as a coach right so they find out that I do this other thing and they have a business and they go, Oh, well maybe I should talk to Bill. And I was talking to this guy. He lives in Florida. He actually comes to town here and there. And we were talking about music. Then we start talking about this other business that he has. And at somewhere in there, I just said, well, you know, it sounds like you should hire me. And it's like I've the switch flipped. He went, Oh, well, maybe I should. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and then we had a whole conversation about it. Um, I think, you know, there are people like Toku. Toku McCree is brilliant at breaking down a coaching sales conversation. Um, I probably do most of the pieces of that, but not in a in a very systematic way. My job for me, when I walk, what I'm thinking about when I walk into one of those conversations is number one, I don't need you as a client. That's the first thing I have to get is I don't need this client because I don't want to get attached to them becoming a client. That will have the conversation be weird, right? And that's a big thing. You got to get, I have to be not attached to it. I don't care. If it's a fit, then it's a fit and it'll happen, right? And really that's, that's the next part is I want to know, is this a fit? Is this a fit for me? Do I want this person as a client? Because sometimes I think I do, but by the end of that conversation, I'm not so sure. Now that doesn't mean that if they're really into it, we won't give it a shot, but it needs to be a fit both ways. They have to feel good about it. I have to feel good about it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, and then just not being afraid to ask. You know, as they say, if you don't ask for the business, you won't get the business. So to when it comes time to just ask and just say, you know, do you want to move forward with this? If you do, here's what we'll do. Mm. Mm. Do you, how did you evolve this way of doing this? By accident, yeah. honestly. I think partially because I did bang my head against the internet marketing thing enough times that uh, that wasn't working. And when I saw what was working, that's what was working, is just being in the world. 
So my coach said, great, why don't you go do more of that? When you show up places and you just really show up, right, all the way, clients show up for you. So you should keep doing that because it's what works. Um, I'm not saying that that is the only thing I'll ever do, but it works. It's not, you're not, uh, I don't know anybody who's going to grow quickly that way. It, it's not a, it's not a fast growth uh, scenario. Um, and while I could complain about that at various stages along the way, it's also been really good for me because I'm not sure what I would have done in a fast growth scenario if that would really work for me. Um, could I take on another three to five clients? Yeah, I could. And that'd be great. Uh, and when they show up, I will. Yeah. But I also have a very, my turnover is really light. Um, mm. I require six months, but I have one client that we're going on 14 years. I have other clients that we're going on two years or three years and everything in between. And I love that. I feel like I go from, this initial framework of how do you get in your way and what are the things we can do to start getting you out of your way to becoming a trusted advisor in someone's business and life that, that becomes a real part of what they do. And I love that. That's, that's, that's my sweet spot. Yeah. And how, um, practically and financially, how do those, structures work when it's six months and, and also mm -hmm. if it rolls on beyond that. Yeah. So, uh, when I was employed as a coach, uh, I was on salary, so I didn't, I just got paid what I got paid, which quite frankly, for the amount of work I was doing was not near enough. But when I left, I looked at, okay, what did they charge people and, and for the amount of time that they got? And I sort of use that as a, as a jumping off point. So when I first started on my own, I would charge people $2,500 for 10 calls. And I would say, we're going to do those calls over X amount of time. And, and it may have been shorter at that point, but let's say six months. Okay. And that became really unwieldy. You know, I would get this chunk of money and then I'd have to, you know, go for the next six months without another chunk of money unless I was getting more clients, which I wasn't getting quickly, right? And inevitably, we'd go longer, you know, uh, people's schedules would happen, you know, uh, and it just, I wasn't ever getting paid. So after a few years of this, uh, I thought, you know, there's a better way. So I looked at my frequency of, of phone calls with people, which ended up being pretty much twice a month, every other week. And I found that that worked any longer than that would get a little tough. You know, they'd get a little, um, un not engaged, Right. And shorter than that, oftentimes, especially with busy people, they didn't have time to do some of the things I had them doing. Mm. 
right? There wasn't really time or they didn't have time to fail at it so that we could really work on it. So every other week seemed to be good. It's okay, twice a month. So using the same basic pricing model that I had, that sounds like $500 a month. So I'm going to charge you $500 a month. We're going to put that on, you know, an automatic recurring payment. We're not going to talk about it again. <laughs> uh, we'll check in in six months. And if you want to stop, we'll stop. And if you want to keep going, we'll keep going. Mm. And that has made it very sustainable because all of a sudden I have a regular income. Uh, I have, so if we're going to talk about money and coaching, and I, I loved this part of your interview with Toku because I agreed with it. Uh, yeah, just to catch you, actually, you mentioned Toku before, and I didn't say at that point. Yeah. If people want, there's a long form interview that we did on this show with him. He's also been on your show. Really yeah. worth checking out. If people oh, haven't yeah, listened to wonderful. him speak before, the, I mentioned him on Coaches Rising as well before. Like, listen to any of those. Like, they're all they're all great conversations. So, they're really good. Yeah, sorry, go on. What was the thing that you wanted to pull out of that? Yeah, so people people have to feel what they're paying. So it's got to pinch just a little bit. And I noticed that for my small business, like very small business clients, somewhere in that five or $600 a month range, they feel that. Yeah. Um, more than that, it's not sustainable for them. Um, which means it's not sustainable for me, right? Uh, now, I have had other clients that I charge considerably more money because they make considerably more money. And even one of those that I had a doctor who I charged the most I've ever charged anyone. It still wasn't enough. He didn't do half the stuff I had I'd asked him to do. It's because he wasn't feeling it. If he was feeling that pinch, he would have done it. Right. Um, and I have figured out that even though I enjoy the idea of higher dollar clients and have some and have had some, the people that I end up working with for a really long time and that I end up having this great relationship with really all lay mostly in that. Now for me, it's like 600 to 1200 a month range. Somewhere in there, that's probably where I'm going to have people most of the time. Um, at the same time, I look at my oldest client who kind of pays me at the top of my pay scale for him, but I also coach three other people in his business, right? Uh, so that adds up pretty well. Um, yeah, pricing's tough, I think, for people a lot of times. But it really comes down to me to what do I need? Like, what's going to work for me? What can I feel good about? And what works for my client and, and the type of client that I have? If I had the CEO of a big company, I'd probably charge him $10,000 a month because that's, that's the equivalent of 500 a month for a solopreneur who's working out of their house. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely does. And um, because there's lots more we could talk about about that. One of the things I wanted to catch though is, you know, it sounds like 
So one of the problems I think the challenges that a lot of coaches face, and this is absolutely, you know, who's get, what's getting in your way. Well, it's you or me in, in you know, this case is, is understanding what they're worth. And one of the yeah. nice things you had was this proof, <laughs> right? I did that, people, proof, yeah. that, that people would pay $2,500 for whatever it was, 10 sessions, yeah. you know, and they were paying that. And it is a really nice thing to do. If, if, if anyone is listening, worrying about pricing in their kind of, with their speech marks, private clients, like if you've done associate work somewhere, find that out because right. people will, you, you can, you know, that's a really good evidence that you're worth that amount. And and most people are worth much more than they think. Uh, Bill, also, for people who are watching on video, you need to introduce this creature sitting in your lap, which just well, made its first appearance. Snoring? No, she just like lifted her head up, oh, looked around cause, briefly. Because um, I can and, hear her snoring right now. This is Galaxy. And for people who are listening and not watching, describe Galaxy. Galaxy is an eight-month-old, deaf Mexican-French bulldog. I say Mexican because she was born in Mexico. Um, she has one blue eye and one brown eye. And they named her galaxy because of her blue eye, because it looks mm -hmm. like space. Um, she is the mellowest, sweetest puppy I have ever had. We had a dog named Midas. It's pretty funny, actually, when I was coaching for Bob Doyle, his program was called Wealth Beyond Reason. And about 18 months before I, I started doing that, I had lost my two dogs, one at 15 years old and one at like 12 years old. So I was not up for having any more dogs. And my girlfriend, now wife at the time, really wanted a dog. So she finds this puppy. She calls me. She says, you need to come meet this puppy, which basically means we're getting a dog. Because what am I going to meet the puppy and say no, right? She said, look, his name's Midas. You coach wealth beyond reason. It makes sense. So and good. I thought, well, that's it. We're it's done. Midas true. was a great dog. He lived to 14 and a half. We lost him in October. The hole in our house and our hearts was too big. So... We yeah, now have Galaxy is. to Lovely. fill said hole. And everybody who, who's watching on the video or listening is just is just thinking, wow, he's had a dog in his lap the whole time, which is true, right? She's, I been, have, she's yeah. been mostly sleeping. Um, I'm sweating. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so much we get. I wonder, I wonder, like I'd love, I want the alternate universe recording of this interview where she wasn't mm -hmm. sitting in your lap to see what, what the, how the conversation would have been different. Um, the same. Uh, and... <laughs> There's so many places, you know, we could go. I love that conversation we've just had about money. I love that sense of the way you're creating that. Um, just you to know, check it, um, is it, you still pretty much work twice a month with people mostly? Like that's the rhythm and it's just that's varying the, the fees. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. Um, oh, go on, sorry. It, I also know there is a, a caveat to that, that I am available to all my clients anytime in between those calls, email, text, short phone call, whatever they need. I find that most of the time people don't actually take advantage of that. Even sometimes when I wish they would have, yeah. you know, they have something happen and two weeks later we're talking and I'm like, okay, you could have called me. Right. Um, so that is a part of it. I am available. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to say that um, it was, an, it was a kind of um, thing I realized I, 
I've said this somewhere on the show before, but most people have probably forgotten it by now. I had a, an engagement I ran for a while, which was like a bit like yours, was like a limited number of sessions, nominally over, explicitly over a period of time, but it never turned out quite like that. And then occasionally I'd get this really weird thing happen, which made everything, because it was priced and structured like that, made it awkward for everyone, which is someone would want to call me between sessions. And I'd be thinking, even though the amounts of money were pretty small, like really they should be paying me another 50 quid here or or, or whatever it was right. like and it's just a bit they don't know that i don't know what to do and it made all the difference to just take that out of it you know yeah, and i, I structure mine a bit different although i've got to say i think that you know clients of mine in the future are gonna someone as soon is going to be getting a proposal pretty much to work how, how you work because i can yeah. i can kind of feel that there's a there's an interest right going back to the start of our conversation for me and and playing with how i work i just always structure mine a bit differently but building in that thing that you just said to a to a coaching agreement is i think a really if you're if you're interested in service is a really important thing to do because it's just yeah. those moments sometimes like the moment where the magic can happen is found easier more easily or more powerfully or something by getting that conversation at exactly the right time for somebody and then being free and feeling able to do that in my experience. Well, I feel like mostly it's, it's pretty rare that people yeah. use it. <laughs> I haven't had anyone abuse it. Yeah. Um, and if they do, we're going to talk about that and we'll right. nip that in the bud. Yeah. Um, I know but what, that but I can't even think what the abuse would actually, you know, be well, once there's in. I mean, the, I guess you know, if they were contacting me every day, yeah. you know, or needing, you know, when I say short phone call, I mean, short phone call. I'm not, I don't, I don't mean we're going to talk for an hour. You have an issue. I'm going to laser coach that and we're going to move on. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's never really been an issue, but I know that for me with my coach, uh, there's been times where I, I need that. Yeah. And I found an interesting thing is that my last coach, when I would have a moment like that and reach out, he never answered. And it, like right away, it took a while, sometimes a day. It didn't matter. For me, a lot of times the act of, re, of the reach out, of the, hey, here's what's going on, here's what I'm dealing with, ended up solving it for me or opening up some space that I didn't have before. So I want people to have that space. Yeah, but also, you know, I can hit you. I don't know if you're doing it deliberately, but you're what you're like, uh, just nipping in the bud, the worry of a coach thinking about this, which is, ah, yeah. but I'm busy sometimes. I can't always get back to people like that's okay. Yeah, so don't. Right? You, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the agreement is to do what you can do. Right. Um, when yeah. you when it's the right thing to, to, to do that. And yeah, but but you and I love what you say about 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 people reaching out. Um we're coming a little bit, Bill, towards the end of the time. And I wanted to make sure we have some time to focus on the work you're doing with Miles, the, mm. the subtle art of not yelling and that kind of yeah. piece, the kind of, you know, maybe you could say, I, I was going to try and do it then. It'd be much better if you do it. Um, say a little bit about where that emerged and why, you know, that and that title and, mm. you know, what that, piece of work that the two of you are doing which really caught my attention when i when you reached out to me and i checked you out you know it like really caught my attention and we had a wonderful conversation from you know on on that show tell people a bit more about that and how that fits in now with the work you're doing so a little backstory when i worked for um 
company in Austin with Bob Doyle and Joe Vitale. One of the things about those guys is they, back in the day, were brilliant internet marketers. They were early in that space of information marketing. And we had coaches on one side of the room, life coaches, and there were marketing coaches on the other side of the room. Um, so I got a, I got a deep dive education on marketing information, coaching books, all of that stuff on the internet very early on. And always, you know, and I saw it work. I mean, these guys were brilliant at it. They had hundred thousand people on their list. It was crazy. That was also a long time ago and the rules were a little different. Actually, there were no rules. So, uh, uh, you know, it's all changed a lot. And as I mentioned, uh, it never really worked for me. Well, here comes the pandemic and uh, half my income is gone because I'm not touring and playing. And it was going to change anyway. I had some changes, the band that I, we dissolved the band that I'd been working with and even before the pandemic, right before actually, which is oddly mm-hmm. serendipitous. Um, but I also, during the pandemic realized that I was okay with not, you know, driving, I don't know, 35,000 miles a year, uh, driving all over the place and playing. Like I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I was okay with a break from that. But given my model of how I get clients, I had a little concern. Yeah. How is that going to work? So. I got a buddy who is a, is a very successful um, wellness coach, Qigong teacher who uh, has had great success with his business online. We were talking, he helped me build out, you know, some stuff to try to get clients. I got it all built and I looked at it and I was, and I just thought I can't, I can't do this. I can't launch this. This is crap. It's not me. It's the same thing I've done a million times before. It's not going to work. And I don't feel good about it. It felt very inauthentic. And I just wasn't ready for another round of the letdown, you know, of putting this stuff out there and not having to do anything. Not long after that, I got introduced to Miles Hansen. And I got introduced. Uh, inadvertently, she had mentioned him a couple of times, but she wasn't pushing him. And I was interested in, uh, doing some things with LinkedIn. So she sent, she forwarded me an email that he had sent her and his information was at the bottom. And so I looked up his website, checked him out. And I was really interested in this guy. Like he said some cool stuff. So I booked a call with him. I booked a 30 minute call with him and we talked for an hour and a half and we spent a lot of that time bashing and making fun of all of the internet marketing programs that we hated and that didn't work and that we spent thousands of dollars on, which I had just come out of one. Uh, And so we were very much on the same page and he helped me do a couple of things, you know, just think about things a little different way. Uh, I started uh, doing a weekly Facebook live. I committed to doing that for six months. He said, look, uh, 
do it for six months. If you can't stand it after that, then stop, you know, but just do it. And I ended up having in a roundabout way, having two clients show up the next time I went somewhere in person because I'd been doing those Facebook lives, um, which was kind of cool. I'm like, Oh, there's something here. But he and I talked a lot about that. The people who tend to do really well in internet marketing courses have very different personalities than me or than him. Um, and have no problem with kind of showing up online every day and, um, what I call jumping up and down and yelling, Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, which I've never been good at. That's not, that's just not my personality. And yet I've seen it happen. And I'm convinced that you don't have to do that to build a business and build a good business and build a sustainable business. Um, so enters the idea of a podcast. Uh, I'd been thinking about doing one. I think I'd been on clubhouse at the time and realized that my strength is in talking. It's not in making reels or memes or posts or, or even writing. I can do it. but That's not my sweet spot. My sweet spot is this is having conversations. So I thought, well, maybe a podcast. And then Miles mentioned he was thinking about a podcast. So I suggested we do one together and uh, we gave it a shot. The idea being, let's talk to people like us and people who aren't like us, you know, but people who are at some level of success in their, in their chosen field about how they do it. We end up talking to quite a few musicians, a lot of copywriters, uh, I think not too many coaches, just a couple, though I'd like to have some more. Um, about just, just every, the, be the best ones, like, of course, like yes, me only. and Toku. <laughs> yes, only. Uh, about everything from creativity and how you do what you do to how you get it out in the world. And, and you know, centering that conversation around, you know, yeah, you know what? I probably could do it. I could probably make myself do some really standard uh, internet marketing kind of stuff for a short period of time and it might work, but it's not sustainable for me. It's just not. And I want whatever I do to be sustainable. I want to be doing this years from now and feeling good about it. So that's a lot of where our conversations come from on the show. Uh, it's been great. It, it, uh, out of that. And you asked me very early on, we talked about the books and mm. finishing, right? What I realize is that for all creative pursuits for me, I need a structure. I need a box. Like for example, if you, if you ask me to write a song, well, I'll get back to you in a year and we'll see if anything's happened. But if you ask me to tomorrow, hand you a song about a specific subject, I will do it. It'll probably be pretty good. Um, I need a box. I need some, I need a container. So Miles and I, out of the podcast and out of that conversation, started a thing called The Box, which is a community where everybody shows up uh, once or twice a week for a co-working session online. 
uh, we all have specific projects we're working on. And one of the things Miles and I do is we kind of help people chunk down their projects and put a container around it so that they can get it done. And we all show up, we co-work for 90 minutes. I get more done in that 90 minutes than at any other time during the week. Uh, and it's, it's been really great. Uh, it, it's really fun. Mm. So we'll see where that goes, but it's been good. And how do people find that? If, cause I imagine some people listening, you know, I'm sure there's lots of things, you know, we'll put links to yeah, you and sure. everything about your work in the show notes. And I'm sure there's lots of things that people have heard that they'll want to kind of follow up on, but the box specifically, I'm, I'm betting there are people who are listening mm. now who are going, I need that. So what, how do people find that? Thebox.com. Or if you go to uh, Sun got Art. Thebox.com. I can't believe thebox.com so. was available. I Fantastic. But uh, if you go to the subtle art of not yelling, it's right It's right on there too. Yeah, lovely. And then just before we finish, Bill, we've kind of touched on it in lots of ways over the course of this um, conversation, especially at the start, but, but also other times. I, I just wonder if you could say something about creativity mm. and what, what place it holds for you generally, maybe how you think about it and, and maybe how, what part it plays in this work, the helping people get out of their way work. Uh, to me, creativity is in everything and everyone is creative. You are creating your life every moment, especially if we, if we're saying you're responsible for everything in your life, it is a creation. You could call it a co-creation if you want um, with, with that thing that is larger than us, which we could have a whole nother talk about. Uh, but it's a creation. It is a creative act. And when you look at life as a creative act, uh, it, it gets pretty interesting. I was on a podcast last year and we got to talking about creating and we were talking about coaching and music and and the, the host really surprised me and asked me, what do you create? And I thought, well, I create songs. I know that. And it took me a second, but I realized, and I create conversations. A coaching conversation is a creation. If you're present in the moment and you're listening to your client, not planning what you're going to say next, but actually listening to your client, then whatever there is to say next just comes. It's a creation. Um, and I love creating conversations. It's fantastic. Uh, so creativity is everywhere and everything. And I think my challenge is to really honor it because I haven't always. And when I don't finish work, I'm not honoring it. Mm. And when I have the ability to create songs or art or whatever, and I'm not doing it, that's not honoring it. So that's kind of my challenge right now. And, and I don't think I'm alone <laughs> in finding ways to really honor my ability to create and finding all those places where, I am creative and can be creative and can express myself creatively. Your whole, you know, look, your whole 12 minute method thing. That's what a lovely container for creativity. And that's really, that's what you did. You made a box 
right? You made this beautiful box that you could show up to and say that here it is. This is what I'm going to do. And it had you create four books for God's sake. Well, probably more than that now, but you know, yeah, but, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. The container is, is, was, was ever, the box for that was everything. Yeah. Like, and I didn't know how big, how important the box was, but the box made that what it was. And maybe the other piece of that, that is, makes it challenging is that creation is uncomfortable mm-hmm. by its very nature. Creation is uncomfortable. If you've ever watch childbirth or know anything about it, it doesn't look comfortable. Um, Songwriting is not comfortable. Even when it's fun, it's uncomfortable. I would imagine that you spent a lot of uncomfortable time during those 12 minutes. Absolutely true. Uh, And our ability to deal with being uncomfortable is kind of the key, I think, to unlocking greater levels of creativity. Bill, beautiful. What a wonderful place to bring this conversation to a close. Um, yeah, we'll put, like I said before, we'll put links to everything we've talked about in the show notes wherever people are listening and, and at thecoachesjourney.com. Um, it's been a really rich conversation flowing in lots of different places, but with some real themes. And it's been lovely to hear. I could hear that. I suddenly, I got, I just got a thing when you were just talking then at the end about creativity, about integrity. Like I mm. got, I got, and, and the lost relics of art. I'm just going to say it because I think it's, yeah. it's worth saying. It's like, I mentioned those songs that, that they were, they were an integrity gap for a while that they hadn't been shared. And then some other things happened for me around music, which is really interesting that changed. They were no longer the integrity gap you know it's just a really interesting thing to catch that sometimes if we don't plug that gap for a while like we change i guess and what it means to be in integrity changes or we find a different way to be in integrity or something else gets created yes um, and these things can change so that's a kind of longer story for another time but yeah thanks so much for bringing all those parts of you the coach and the musician to the conversation and um, yeah it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show oh man thank you so much Hello, Robbie here again. A couple of quick things before you go on to whatever else you've got going on in the rest of your day. Uh, And that is, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then you might be interested in becoming a supporter of the Coach's Journey podcast or joining the Coach's Journey community. Both of those are ways to support the show, help it continue, help it reach more and more people, but they also give you other things that you might be interested in. If you become a supporter, which is paying a small amount of money every month, then you'll get advance notice of guests, perhaps the chance to ask questions of guests, um, depending on what membership level you have, and and more monthly video updates from me, all kinds of other bits and pieces. And if you join the Coach's Journey community, then you get all of that, plus you get to be part of a group coaching program led by me um, and attend group coaching calls up to 10 times a year, have one-on-one coaching with me, and be part of a community of coaches who want to create thriving coaching businesses and thrive as people while they do it. And um, one of the members said recently that the word that keeps coming up in the members WhatsApp group is beautiful to describe those calls. And so um, I'd love to have you there on one of those calls. Um, and as a member of the community or a supporter of the show, it would mean the world to me and it helped me to keep doing this thing that I love to do and that many, many people have told me is really helpful for them. So thanks very much for listening and hope to have you back with us on the Coach's Journey podcast sometime soon.